0: your Bible to the gospel of Mark. Mark, you know, we've been, I call it, it's the passion section of Mark that we've kind of been going through and going over uh, together. But it's been a few weeks since we had it. Y'all know the night that we were supposed to have the fall festival, we didn't have church at all. Did anybody show up? Amen. And one did. One did. And her picture was in the announcement telling people not to come to church. Amen? So I'm not naming any names. We have one show up. And then, do you know why we canceled that night? Church altogether, because we're supposed to have a fall. People were coming anyway. Amen? you know, you know what I mean? Uh, on Halloween, if a church is open, that that Wednesday, that Thursday night, there will be children coming expecting candy. So what do you do in your neighborhood when you run out of candy? Turn that porch light off. Amen? So that Wednesday night, we Cut our lights off so everybody know that we weren't open for the candy business. But we're excited to be back tonight. It feels like it's been forever, man, since we've had our Wednesday night Bible study back on Wednesday night. Now tonight, you probably can tell it from the title. We're going to be talking about the resurrection. You know, the resurrection of Jesus is what separates us from every other religion in the world. Buddha died and is dead. Uh, Muhammad died and is dead. Gandhi died and is dead even joseph smith died and he is dead jesus died but he rose from the dead and he is alive even now that's the difference maker it is the the crown jewel of our faith is the resurrection the resurrection it's incredible and it's true now you might have heard this before back in 1992 uh, in south carolina a resident there uh, got a letter from the Health and Human Services Department in Greenville County, South Carolina. This really happened, and the letter said this. said, your food stamps will be stopped at the end of March because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if your circumstances change. Well, well, if they did die, they would not reapply because their circumstances would not change. Death is inflexible. That person never is going to reapply. Now, I mean, if you had watched your best friend die and watched your best friend be buried and you watched the whole thing, if somebody told you a couple of days later that they saw your best friend at Walmart shopping, you wouldn't believe them. Because if anybody comes back from the dead, number one, they're not going to Walmart. Amen. But you wouldn't believe it. Why? Because you had seen it with your own eyes. You you saw your friend die. You attended the funeral. You attended the burial. You saw the whole thing because death is an unchangeable, fixable, I mean, fixed reality. There's nothing that you can do about it, right? It's that truth that makes what we're going to read tonight that much more incredible and amazing. The followers of Jesus had watched their best friend die a brutal death, and they watched him get buried in a borrowed tomb, a borrowed grave, uh, and that was it. Their despair was rooted in the reality that death is final. Man, that, that's why there's, it's unchangeable. It's fixed. And so this is when the greatest event in all of the history of the world happens. And look in your Bible, Mark 16, and I'm going to start in verse number one. Mark 16, verse number one. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought Bought spices that they might come and anoint him very early in the morning. On the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large and entering the tomb. They saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, I bet. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, I know that you know what happens kind of after this, but this is the section that I want to zero in and focus on uh, with our time together tonight. And I kind of break, when I look at this, I see three rocks, three different rocks that are in this text that are going to give us some deep, life-changing lessons if we'll listen to them. So the first rock, take some notes tonight, write this down. The first rock, number one, is the rock removed for investigation. Investigation. Now, Mark tells us that when the Sabbath was over, that these ladies who loved Jesus, they had followed Jesus, right? They bought some spices and they headed to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Now, he was buried really quickly, so he wasn't buried the proper way and all of that. It was just like, hey, the, the, you know, the Sabbath is starting, let's throw this guy in here and we'll come back and make it right later, basically. He wasn't buried properly. They didn't like it, so they're going to go back and make sure that Jesus gets the proper burial. Now, first, we got to commend these ladies just for their boldness, and I think they could have been. I don't know. They could have been putting their lives on the line, right? They could have been putting their reputations on the line. I mean, where are the men? Hiding, right? They're hiding out. They know if they show their faces, it's possible that these religious leaders and these Roman Leaders and Roman guards, they could do to them what they did to Jesus. I mean, if they did it to Jesus, they're not going to hesitate to do it to me. And so they're afraid and they won't know part of it. So I imagine they're grieving behind doors. But these ladies wholeheartedly, undoubtedly, are committed to Jesus and they love Jesus beyond a shadow of doubt. And their love for Jesus kind of causes them to forget about themselves and to go and try to do this one last thing for Jesus. But understand this. Look at this next slide. While these women undoubtedly love Jesus, at this moment they do not believe Jesus. They love him, but they didn't believe him. They absolutely did not. What had Jesus told his followers constantly in the Gospels? I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be back, right? I'm going to be resurrected. They're going to crucify me, going to put me in the grave for three days, but I'm coming back. I'm going to rise again. He told them plainly what was going to happen. These women loved Jesus, but they didn't believe him because if they believed him, they wouldn't be going to get him ready for his funeral. You know, those final preparations. They're on their way to anoint a dead body. If they believed Jesus, they would have believed what he said. Look at this next slide. They loved who he was, but they didn't believe what he said. You ever known somebody like that? Have you ever loved somebody you didn't believe what they said? You know, know, that old old Conrad, man, he's a good boy. You just can't believe nothing he says. (laughs) You You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that's how they felt about Jesus, like Jesus was a pathological liar. But when it came to this subject, they loved Jesus, but they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. And he told them. Look at what they said in verse 3. It says, And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Did they love Jesus? Unquestionably. Did they believe Jesus? Did they doubt Jesus? Wholeheartedly. They doubted Jesus. Now, what do they find when they get there? Look at verse 4. It says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. By the way, I love this in original language. It's not just like moved. You know, you go to the, you see a, Uh, a a resurrection movie, a Jesus movie, and the stone is just kind of moved like maybe halfway out of the door or it's just like the stone is right there and then there's the opening. And the Greek, what you understand is this is rolled away. Like it's yonder, basically. It's not just like moved over just enough. That stone is gone. I mean, it's just over there, nowhere near the opening. When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was Very large. Now, suddenly their plans and their problems are no longer relevant. The spices that they had just bought were useless, right? That 2,000 pound stone that they were worried about rolled away. And what you'll look, if you look close enough, what you'll see in this text is man's religion and God's grace, right here. The women were trying to do something for Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. Going to do something for God. Well intentioned, absolutely sincere. Uh, but in their own strength. That's what religion is all about. God wasn't looking for them to do something for Jesus. Jesus was doing something for them. And that's a big difference. Uh, That rolled back rock, that empty tomb, that angel that spoke just a moment ago that we mentioned, all were because of one thing, and that's God's grace, period. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. There's nothing that they could do to deserve it. This is a gift. Now, let's be clear, clear. Look at this next slide. Write this down. The rock was not removed to let Jesus out. But to let them in. (laughs) The rock was not removed to let Jesus out, but to let them in. And the rest of the world in after them. God was saying, Come, investigate, look for yourself investigate and believe now it's easy for us to kind of in 2019 to sit back and wonder how these women uh, could love who Jesus was and not believe what Jesus said but if you are honest sometimes you fall into that yourself you know what I, oh, I love Jesus but I'm so worried about my bills how am I going to pay my rent how am I I got to get put clothes on my baby's back and like you have this at just sense of dread and worry and concern how am I going to I got to make more money I love Jesus, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Matthew 6, 31 in your notes, look at it. says, Jesus said, therefore, do not worry. Well, what do we do? Worry. Why? Is it because we don't love Jesus? Mm-mm. Sometimes we lapse and we don't believe Jesus. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly, know that your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Why is it sometimes we live like we don't believe Jesus? We live like we don't believe. Maybe, you know, I love Jesus, but man, when I think about dying, man, I freak out. I'm really worried about death and dying and all of that. Look what Jesus said in John 11:25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. But often we don't live like we really believe that. Our heart kind of tells on us. Look at this next slide. It's one thing to love Jesus when you're blessed, but it's another to believe him when you're stressed. Mm. I mean, it's easy to love Jesus when everything is going right. That's easy. But it's a little bit more difficult when you're stressed out. It's not enough to believe that the tomb was empty. A lot of people knew that the tomb was empty. You also have to believe that Jesus is alive, that he's alive. The Pharisees knew the tomb was empty. The Romans knew that the tomb was empty. They didn't believe Jesus was alive necessarily, but they knew the tomb was empty. Look at this next line. An empty tomb can't change your life or save your soul. Only a living Christ can do that. These women weren't instructed to go and tell anybody uh, that the tomb was empty. They were told to go tell the disciples that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is alive. We love Jesus, but do we believe it? You have to. Write this down. The empty tomb is both evidence and an invitation. The empty tomb is evidence of the resurrection But it's also an invitation to believe in Jesus by faith. It's an invitation to believe what he has said and to believe what he has done for us. So it's evidence, but it's also an invitation. Now, that's the first rock, the rock of investigation. Number two, write this down. The rock resurrected for salvation. For salvation. Look at verse number five in your Bible. Verse number five. It says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See, the rock was rolled away, so to reveal the fact that Jesus, the living rock, the solid rock, was no longer there. He was gone. The angel reassures them, you've come to the right place. Don't come over here, woman. They've come to the right place. Going to get you. Uh, come to the. I'm sorry, if you, don't, if you don't know, I'm sorry. Just go on Facebook. The angel reassures them they've come to the right place looking for the right person, but God is going to give them a new purpose. They thought they were coming there for one reason. God wants them to leave and be the very first witnesses. Look at this next slide. They're invited to see and believe so that they can go and tell. They're invited to see and believe so they can go and tell. And nothing has changed in 2,000 years. When, when the gospel was shared with you, you're being invited to come and see. But immediately God says, once you come and see, he says, go and tell tell now notice what the angel tells him to come and see he says see the place where they laid him he's like see this is where he was but he's gone he's no longer here now there's three look at this next slide there's three important words when he says he um, is risen and three words in english one word in the greek "iero." "iero." it's kind of like telestai it's past tense it is finished right and that's what it's saying he is risen he has been risen he is gone right it's over it's a done deal debt paid sacrifice complete the gospel is complete he has been raised and what is the command from the angel to the woman again look at verse number seven go and tell look jesus isn't here he is risen he It is done. It is finished. It is complete. Now go and tell. Same thing he says uh, to us tonight. Now that you've come and seen, go and tell. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus isn't something to just be experienced. It's something to be shared. And I would say if you have an unwillingness to share, you haven't experienced it. Telling these women to go and tell, can you imagine them keeping their mouth shut? Think about those ladies that were just working in the kitchen. You think they could keep it a secret, amen? No, Glenda would already told it and told it 20 times. And you would have too. Okay, I'm picking on them. But you would have too, wouldn't you? Go and tell. I don't know. It seems like we spend a lot of time trying to convince Christians to act like it. To go and tell. To go and tell. Um, you see, a dead Savior can't save anyone. The resurrection isn't just a nice thing, it's the necessary thing. It's what you've got to have, man. It's so important. A dead Savior can't save anybody. That's why the church of Jesus Christ, we don't meet on Friday, the day of the resurrection. We meet on Sunday. I mean, uh, not the day of crucifixion, we meet on Sunday, the day of the resurrection, the day that death was defeated, our salvation was completed. We no longer rest on the Sabbath. We rest in grace through Christ and the sacrifice and the resurrection the promise of our salvation. I mean, we sing a lot about the cross, but we celebrate the resurrection. It's the empty tomb that makes the blood. If there wasn't an empty tomb, the bloody cross doesn't mean anything. There was a bunch more really good Jewish boys who died on cruel Roman crosses the same time that Jesus did. And the difference between all of them good Jewish boys and Jesus, and number one, he was the perfect lamb of God, but the empty tomb is the difference. It's everything, man. Everything. Matter of fact, write this down. It's the resurrection that validates his crucifixion. It's the resurrection. It's, the, it's God's stamp of approval. How do we know that Jesus was God's son? The resurrection. How do we know that Jesus is who he said he was? The resurrection. How do we know that we can trust Christ to save us? The resurrection. It's God's stamp of approval. It validates His crucifixion. Romans 4:25, in your note, says, "Who was delivered up the cross, who was delivered up because of our offenses, the cross, and was raised because of our justification, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. It, it took both the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection to make us right with God. Dying on the cross, he paid for our sins, but coming out of the grave, he conquered death and hell and all of that. That's why Jesus said, I come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, right? Because he had it to give. If he couldn't defeat death, he couldn't give you life. He had to defeat death in order to even offer life to you. Look at this next slide. You ever heard of this guy, Christopher Hitchens? He was a well-known atheist back in the early 2000s. He passed away in 2011, hated God, right? Didn't believe in God, but just, you know, as happy as he looks in this picture. Seemed like a great guy. And didn't believe in heaven, didn't believe in hell or any of that. But like I said, he died in 2011. I'd like to hear his verdict on that now. I don't think it'd be the same. A few years before he died, Hitchens was interviewed in Portland by a Unitarian minister named Marilyn Sewell. There's three things wrong with that. Unitarian, Lady Minister, Marilyn Sewell. Okay, all that's wrong. Across the board. You couldn't get any more wrong. And she was interviewing him. I think it was like for like public access radio, the transcripts, or was it? Anyway, here's what she said. Here's the quote. She says, I'm a liberal Christian. You know what that is? Ain't one. <laughs> I'm a I'm a liberal quick Christian. You're not. She says, I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement that Jesus died for. Now, imagine she's telling this world-renowned, famous atheist this. So she's expecting some attaboys coming her way, right? I'm a liberal Christian. I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, you know, that Jesus died for our sins, okay? Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist, you know, people that actually believe the Bible, fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? Here's what this pagan said. This atheist. All right, far from God, didn't believe in God. Here's what he said. He said, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice your sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian at all. And to that I would say, amen and amen. A staunch atheist understood more about the essence of the Christian faith than someone who claimed to be a Christian pastor. It's, a sh- it's shameful. Now, Hitchens said you can call yourself whatever you want to, but if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose on the third day so that you can be forgiven of your sins, you're not a Christian. You can call it something, but you're not a Christian, not in any meaningful sense of the word. He's exactly right. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9 in your notes. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no salvation apart from belief in the resurrection. Write this down. Belief in the resurrection is essential to salvation. And if you catch anybody downplaying that or watering that down, never listen to another thing they have to say. That's why, have you ever noticed that our invitations are pretty redundant here at Grace? Pretty repetitive, you kind of hear the same thing, you know. You want to know why? The gospel ain't changed. (laughs) It's it's the same. It was the same last Sunday, it's going to be the same this Sunday. But also, I don't know if you know this, I'm trying to teach you. Every Sunday during the invitation, I'm trying to get it into your heart and your mind, what you need to share with somebody else so that they can be saved. That's why I say the same thing every Sunday. What do you have to do to be saved? You have to repent, turn from your sin. And if you're going to turn from your sin, if you're going to repent, if you're going to turn to Jesus, you've got to turn away from something. You're going to turn away from your sin. You're going to turn to Jesus by faith, trusting him to save you. You're going to put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation. Why? Well, because of that. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, without faith in the actual resurrection, you cannot be saved. And we emphasize that every Sunday. We get that in there every Sunday. Number one, so you know how to share the gospel with somebody else. What's necessary to be saved? But number two, so we can say it clearly and plainly, this is what you have to believe in order to be saved. The resurrection isn't a happy ending of a really good story. It is essential to salvation. Now, here's the third rock. Write this down. The rock recalled for, re- it was a recall for for redemption, for redemption. Look at verse number 7 in your Bible. Verse 7. It says, but go. Here's what the angel said to the ladies. said, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Now, you might be thinking, Brother Marcus, I don't see a rock there. Well, yeah, you do. His name's Peter. Has there ever been a bigger rock head in all of Scripture than Peter? Peter, but you know Jesus changed the name, right? You know, Simon, uh, Peter, Little Rock, right? If you're from Arkansas, you know, Peter's your guy, Little Rock. It takes him, it's not good. It gets there a little slow, but once you get it, you're like, ha, huh alright huh. you all right? Y'all laugh at Scott's jokes, amen? Aren't you glad that Jesus not only sees you as you are, but he sees what you can become? That's what he did in the life of Peter. He knew who Peter was. Look at this next line. It's one thing for us to believe uh, in Jesus, but isn't it encouraging to know that Jesus believes in us? More than you probably believe in yourself. More than I've ever believed in myself. Jesus knew how Simon Peter would betray him, would deny him, would run away from him, and leave him all alone, completely abandoning him to die alone. just after saying, not me, Jesus... Right now, I meant for life, man. We are together forever. I'll never turn my back on you. Yet, Jesus chooses this Peter anyway. And he called this Peter anyway. Now, think about it. Why does the angel there in those verses want it told that Jesus is alive, right? And he's uh, uh, meeting them in Galilee. Who does he specifically name that they're supposed to tell? Peter. Peter. Now, here's, run this scenario in your mind. Can you imagine those ladies running back and telling the disciples, "He is risen! He is risen!" He's, and he said, "He's going to meet us in Galilee. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go!" And you know Peter's like, "Oh my, I guess y'all better go. I ain't going, man. I ain't going. Jesus don't want to see me, man. No, come on, no, man. After everything I did, to Jesus, man, I just I ain't going. I ain't. Y'all just go ahead. I ran. I didn't try to save them. I saved myself." I denied him. That rooster crowed. never going to eat fried chicken again. (laughs) I denied him. And what were the women saying? No, Peter, he specifically asked us to tell you. I mean, who needed that name drop more than Peter? No, Peter, the the angel told us to tell you that Jesus is going to meet you in Galilee. Well, I guess I better go right? The one who felt the least was encouraged the most. You know, Peter, you haven't messed up too bad. Peter, you haven't gone too far. Peter, you haven't crossed some line that you think that exists. Peter, your failure is not final, right? You're still his. He forgives you and he wants to see you. Can you imagine the relief and joy that Peter must have felt? We know this impacted him because who became the leader of the disciples? Who preached on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people saved. Peter. Who later sacrificed his own life and refused to deny the fact that Jesus was alive. That's what he was killed for. Because he was preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And refused to recant it. And so they murdered him. Who was that? Peter. Peter. Look at this next line. The one who had done the worst was used the most. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to you because you've never been the worst. But for somebody you have. You know what that's called? Grace. Grace. Your sin does not disqualify you for service. Look at this next slide. Understand this. God doesn't use the perfect, but he does use the repentant. that's key. I'm not talking about, let's just be a big old fat sinner and just God's going to bless us. What I'm saying is, God doesn't use the perfect but he will use the repentant. And Peter, remember we talked about that. Peter and Judas, Judas felt bad, but Peter was repentant. Peter finally realized it wasn't about what he had done. It was about what Christ had done for him. It wasn't about who he was, but it was about who Jesus was that made the difference. Look at this next slide. You ever seen this movie before? Anybody get the Disney Plus, amen? Anybody got the Disney Plus, the new Disney Plus? Is it any good? Oh, okay. But listen. Who, what, who is this? Buzz Lightyear. Now, if you'll remember, uh, Buzz... <laughs> I love how y'all answer me like I'm stupid. Amen? I didn't need an attitude with it. Who's that? Well, I, well, that's Woody, dummy. Buzz Lightyear, you idiot. Amen? Jesus, take me now. Listen. Buzz Lightyear, if you remember in one of the movies, Buzz Lightyear, he's a, what is a superhero, space hero person, and he's absolutely convinced that that's what he, what he is. I'm a, I'm a space hero. I can do all these things, right? Meanwhile, Woody, the cowboy, shouts at him, you're not a space ranger. You're just a kid's plaything, man. You're just a toy. You're not a space ranger. You're not a space hero, right? And it's only when uh, Buzz fails to fly like he's supposed to that he accepts the truth. Oh, man, I'm not a space hero. I'm not, that's not who I am right? He is completely crushed. He's like, I'm just a stupid little plaything. Absolutely crushed because everything about him was built up in I'm Buzz Lightyear, the space hero. And he finds out that he's not all that after all. And in an attempt to kind of cheer him up, Woody uh, makes an incredible statement. And here's what he says. He says, Buzz, look over in that house. There's a kid in there who thinks you're the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger. It's because you are his. Because you are his. And Buzz could uh, look down on, on, on the bottom of his uh, uh, space boot there and right there written on the bottom of the sole of his shoe, what? Andy. Right? And, it, and he just smiled, made him happy. Because his value wasn't in who he was. His value was in who he belonged to. And that's the same thing is true for us. Now, you don't have Jesus' name written on your foot. But your name is written on his hand. Look at Isaiah 49, 16. God says, see, Isaiah 49, 16, slide changer, lady back, I'm sorry. Says, see, I have inscribed, that's my wife, in case y'all didn't know I'm playing. (laughs) See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You know, sometimes in ancient times, uh, a, a master would Uh, tattoo the slave with their name so everybody would know this person belongs to me. But never would the master have the slave's name tattooed on them because that would uh, the picture would be a master who is devoted to a servant. But here in Isaiah, God is telling us that he's got our names tattooed, I'm saying tattooed, inscribed on his hand. A master who's devoted to his servants. God is not our plaything. We belong to him, but he has permanently engraved our names on the palms of his hands. What does that mean? It means that you have got to stop evaluating yourself based on whatever you have or haven't done up to now. You have got to stop giving yourself a value about what you think you've accomplished before today. That is not who you are. That's not where your value lies. Look at this next slide. You've got to evaluate your life on who you belong to. Who do you belong to? I mean, who do you really belong to? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to his guidance, to his lordship, to his salvation, to his control, to his ownership, to his kingship? Have you believed and received? Look at this. Here's the good news. Look at this next slide. Have you believed in this Jesus who perfectly fulfilled the law, sacrificially died for your sin, physically rose from the dead to permanently reconcile sinners to a holy God? Have you trusted that through repentance and faith and had your sin forgiven by faith in him? Are you his? Because if you are, there's your value, man. That's who you are. You're not your past mistakes. You're not the things that you've seen or the things that you've done if you've turned from them. You are his, and he gives you value. Mark makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is, you've heard it, not a good way. Jesus isn't a better way. Jesus isn't even the best way. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way. He was crucified for your sins, and he was raised from the grave, and he conquered death. And what he's inviting you is the same thing that he invited these women to do 2,000 years ago. He's inviting you to come and see and then to go and tell. Have you seen? Do you tell? You should. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Well, stand with me. We're just missing word per Stand with me. I'm sorry. I just think y'all pray better standing up. Amen. We ready? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the blessing of your word. God, I'm so grateful that I'm not a sum total of all my mistakes. Lord, all of my sin, all of my regrets, God, I'm not the sum total of all the hurt that I've caused other people, uh, the hurts that I've caused myself, Lord, the hurt that I've done to myself, God, that I'm not the sum total of maybe hurt that I've done on others, and, and God, even people that have hurt me, they do not define me, God, but that you define me, and Lord, the value that you've put on our life is immeasurable, the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I thank you that my identity is in you. God, it doesn't matter what this world says. Lord, it doesn't matter what people think, that I am yours and you have inscribed my name in the palm of your hand. And oh God, I'm not worthy, but I thank you for Jesus and his righteousness on my behalf. Lord, I pray for all gathered here tonight that each one of us know you. God, that we've turned from our sin and turned to Jesus and placed our faith in your death, burial, and resurrection. And, God, that you have saved each one here. God, I pray that um, if we have seen, God, that we will go and tell. Give us hands and feet that live to serve you, Lord, that desire to expand your kingdom for your good and for your glory. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.